welcome in. Let's go. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0, episode three. It's Wobby and the usual cast of characters, Giles and Chase, here to talk some Vikings football with you. Now, so far in this season of the Wobcast 2.0, we've definitely had a defensive bend to the topics. We're going to shift the focus a little bit more to the offense, specifically talking about the wide receiver room and how we think the Vikings can make some substantial improvements to what is already a strength of their team with a few key moves. We'll get into that later. But first, let's dust off a couple of defensive topics and some other things before we shift that focus to the Vikings offense. Before we do that, though, let's say hi to Giles and Chase. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hey, hey, we're doing great. The NFC uh, secured the W in the Pro Bowl, so I think any day that happens, you're sitting in a good spot. And no Vikings got hurt. This is true. <laughs> Knock on wood for the rest how's, of the offseason. How's Mike McDaniel feeling watching Tyreek Hill get blown up by Jalen Ramsey inadvertently <laughs> in the Pro Bowl? Oh, my I feel, goodness. I feel like he's blowing up other people's phones based on yeah. that call. Like, yes. hey, that's not cool. <laughs> if you didn't see that, listeners, please go and watch. I'm sure I'm sure people listening to this are are enthusiastic enough about the sport where they probably watch the Pro Bowl. But if you didn't, you got to go watch it. A definitely hold your breath moment for the Dol- for the Dolphins and Tyreek Hill. Yikes. I guess uh, the definition of flag football means different things to different people. Oh, my goodness. I do think it was inadvertent by Jalen Ramsey because um, there was a lateral involved from Devontae Adams. And it was it, but it was yeah. a hold your breath moment. Anyway, uh, yeah. no worse for the wear, it looks like. It looks like he's fine. Uh, the Vikings, I think, stayed healthy. Some guys showed out, I thought, uh, for the Vikings. I thought Cousins had some moments that looked good, and TJ Hawkinson had a touchdown, so kind of fun to watch that. Yeah. Yeah, I know they were they were cooking. Uh, yep. Honestly, I think if they can extend that progression, that excitement, uh, all that talent that's swirling around that and push yeah. it into next year, I think we're going to have a great season, but we'll get into that more later. <laughs> that's right. All right. Uh, the other bowl game we should talk about <clears throat> is the Senior Bowl, which um, yeah. occurred last week. And... The important thing about the senior bowl guys is it's really not about the game that happens on the weekend. You know, it's about the practices. Uh, it's no one even really shows up to the game. Do they? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, guys are kind of actually happens. I mean, some people, yeah, they stick around, but people are getting out of town and going, going to the next thing. And I, I spent, I don't know how many times I went to the senior bowl, but it was five or six or seven, you know, during my time with the Vikings, maybe more. Uh, and it really is about those practices. Uh, mm-hmm. the coaches and scouts get on the field and they watch watch the practices. And, and then, of course, it's about the interviews. You know, mm-hmm. for what it's worth, um, just three quick takeaways from the Senior Bowl, and then we'll we'll move on to the Vikings offense and the wide receivers. Yeah. Um, I thought the the Gopher center John Michael Schmitz had made made a, a really good showing for himself, and I'm hearing that from others as well. Obviously, being from Minnesota, it's easy for us to gravitate toward. a a Gophers player who's down there, but Mm -hmm. in reading some reports and talking to some people, he's a guy who really stood out. And this is relevant to the Vikings because regardless of how you feel about Garrett Bradbury, you've got to consider the draft as an option to upgrade at center. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so here's, here's a potential candidate for late first round or early second round, which I believe the, the, the Vikings will be in that spot. They already are in the later stages of the first round but they're a candidate to trade back to the very, very end of of the first round or out of the first round and stock up on multiple second round picks. And that's exactly where John Michael Schmitz will probably end up going. Now, most of the time you can get the top center in the draft right around where the Vikings got Bradbury high Mm -hmm. teens. 
I think Schmitz is that type of player, and he's projected to go by some in the second round. So it could be some good value there. Yep. I think uh, my second observation, guys, overall, it's a good crop of interior offensive linemen at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. Now, Senior Bowl players generally are not – it's not a bunch of first-round picks at the Senior Bowl. They tend to be guys who, who start really get going in the second, third, and later rounds. Mm-hmm. If the Vikings are indeed a trade-back team – that's where they're going to have a ton of picks. So yep. I like the Vikings chances to sort of collect some interior offensive linemen in this draft. Some of them from the senior bowl, some of them not, but I think the senior bowl only fortifies the opinion that the draft is the place to look to improve mm-hmm. the offensive line. Lastly, lots of good running backs at the senior bowl, I thought, and it adds to an already flooded market of running backs because i think the free agent class is very deep at running back now the mm-hmm. draft class appears to be pretty deep mm-hmm. um and so i i just think it's be judicious about the cash and cap that you spend on running backs and that's yep. relevant to the vikings because they have two very talented uh running backs in dalvin cook and alexander madison one of whom is already expensive dalvin mm-hmm. cook and another who's going to be expensive alexander madison and i would just say be judicious about this because no disrespect to those guys or the position, but you can get good running backs almost anywhere. So some general observations there from the senior bowl. We can, we can go to the Vikings wide receiver room and talk Vikings offense if you want. But uh, if you had any reaction to that Giles or chase, go ahead. Well, two things, John Michael Schmitz. uh, There's a lot of people that were saying that he was the best player at the senior bowl period, not even necessarily by position. He was that good. If you saw some highlight clips, he was phenomenal. Um, now, obviously, there's a, a translation and a transition from college to NFL that doesn't always happen for some players. But yeah. if you can make the assumption that he will, um, I think that's an interesting to, thing to look at for your first round pick, regardless of where it's at. If it's, it's the current place or if you trade back, I think there's a chance that it's there. Considering how far his his, his stock is driving up, there's a chance that maybe you can't uh, go back. But if you're formally this offseason is trying to achieve the number one overall offense in the NFL next year, yeah. I would take a hard look at John Michael Schmitz as a way to be able to do that because yep. um, at the end of the day, Garrett Bradbury is another contract. Maybe you bring him back. Uh, maybe you trust him to do that at a certain dollar amount. But if you can upgrade and get cheaper at that position, I'm always interested. Um, so I think that's definitely something to look at. Um, and when it comes to all the other players, I think, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see how they, they tackle things when it comes to the, the running back specifically. I think this offseason may be the hard reset that the market needs because historically regardless of position your uh your average salary across position is driven primarily off of the principle of scarcity how many great players are there and if there's a few amount of them it drives prices up right and if you feel like you have one you're willing to pay extra for it however if now we have a flood of free agent options that are all perceivably the same level of skill and talent and you have a bunch of similar level people in the in the draft i think that will force all these market salaries to go down because sure. the principle of scarcity simply won't be there um but maybe i'll be proven wrong but from an economic standpoint i really think this might help reset for the rest of the league i, I think you're right and and also just <clears throat> when there are a lot of resources available in a certain category and think about mm-hmm. it in your own life you mm-hmm. know you, you just don't worry as much about solving that problem. Um, it, it goes down on your priority list. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the best resources don't necessarily get allocated to it. And so mm-hmm. I think teams will be like, 
Uh, yeah, <clears throat> running back is on our things to address this offseason, but <clears throat> we can get him anywhere. So yeah. let's address some other things first. And that, that naturally will drive the market down for those things. And um, so I totally agree with you, Giles. I think that's well stated. You know, it's not to say we don't think Dalvin's a good player or Alexander Madison is worth keeping. I mean, I think Dalvin's a special player. I think mm -hmm. Alexander Madison is a starter in the league. Mm -hmm. Maybe a top, you know, half starter in the league, mm -hmm. really, if given a lot of reps. Absolutely. But those guys, that's not hard to find. And I mm -hmm. think it to exacerbate this point, guys, is the Vikings offense with Cousins and O'Connell and Jefferson. We're throwing the ball anyway. We're 11 personnel. We're throwing the ball a bunch. Mm -hmm. So it's just not a very important position, I, I don't think, for the Vikings. Um, and, and so worry about it later. And I'd be very careful about spending cash and cap on that position. So... And if I had to pick between an elite running back and an elite offensive line, I'm picking the O-line every time because I think oh, an, oh, a yeah. great O-line can make even a crappy running back look good. Now, if yep. you have an elite O-line with a uh, an average or above average running back, I think that's where you're going to have a phenomenal uh, running game versus an elite running back with a, an average or below average offensive line. I think your, your results are going to be subpar. Yep. Uh, and I think maybe that's part of the reason that we weren't super eager to run it this year because our, our uh, line room wasn't necessarily elite. However, I think you have a chance this offseason to maybe change that. I think we were a lot better than they, than they have been in previous years. But this year specifically, there's a chance for this to be quite phenomenal, especially yeah. if you can get John Michael Schmitz. But I'll, uh, I'll digress. But yeah. uh, a lot of opportunity this offseason. Yep, there is. Uh, last thing before we get into the Vikings offense specifically, guys, uh, still no defensive coordinator. No. Are we worried? I think panic has not set in yet because Brian Flores is there and the market Vikings yep. nation, the market wants Brian Flores. So I don't yep. think they're panicking. However, this thing was like four or five or six candidates and they're all gone except for two of them. And yep. one of them is a holdover from last year's defense. And that will not be something that the nation loves. <laughs> yeah. If it's I Mike. Say, yeah. I, uh, I am definitely worried. Uh, okay. because if I'm looking at the Arizona Cardinal final candidates, I do believe Brian Flores to be one of the top ones. Now, this is pure speculation here, but if I'm looking at the, the cause for delay in all of this, I see the Cardinals as uh, a team that's doing due diligence on whether they can hire him and get through all the legal elements uh, in relation to what his his yep. lawsuit is with the Miami Dolphins. I think yep. they're just trying to make sure they're, they're crossing their T's, dotting their I's before they make that acquisition of Brian. But if I'm the Cardinals, I'm getting Brian Flores. Like I'm just making sure that legally I'm okay in all these categories. So yeah. I think that does mean that we are out of candidates other than Mike Patton. And I don't have a natural or strong urge to be anti-Mike Patton at all. Uh, I think actually there's some value there in terms of continuity of ideas and scheme. And then he's got knowledge. He's got one year of hands-on knowledge of the personnel, yeah. right? Yep. So I think there's some value there. Yeah. Um, however, I, I think it is like standing, you know, and getting the bronze medal, like, mm -hmm. or, or, or finishing fourth in this race. I don't, yep. I, I truly think that, and they can, you know, Kevin O'Connell and Quezzy can stand at the podium at the combine and, and say all the great things about Mike that they want. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to believe most of it, but yep. they, they cannot convince me that he was really one of their top two or three candidates. 
He, he was a fallback. Just in I case so. what is currently happening happens, we have a I candidate. So. so we can publicly tell the world that we were looking into him versus yep. getting caught with our pants down, essentially. Yep. And, and and that is no disrespect to Coach Petten, who yeah. has great experience and might do a great job as a coordinator. Uh, yep. But th- that's what I think the reality is. So we'll see what is, happens. But Is there a chance that Sean Desai uh, takes back his withdrawn? Like he essentially withdrew from the position saying, I'm going to focus on the Broncos job. And then he didn't get the Broncos job. So now he's without a head coaching job. Is there a chance that he could say, hey, I'm actually still interested? I mean, that'd be a little bit embarrassing. I don't know if there's precedent I, for that, but. I think that it's possible, but it's more likely that the Vikings would choose Petten anyway then. Okay, fair enough. That's what I'm thinking, but I'm, I'm only guessing. I, and, and look, truthfully, Brian Flores was not, someone that I was like, got to have him go get him. I don't yep. even know if he was my top candidate. I, I was as okay. interested in Flores as I, as I was Raheem Morris, truthfully. Okay. Yep. You know, so, and I'm really less concerned about who the coach is as I, compared to who the players are going to be. That's really mm-hmm. what I think matters. Is yep. Darius Smith here? Is Daniel Hunter here? Yep. What's going to happen at corner. I believe they need to bulk up on the interior. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are, are, that's more that, that's material that's a priority to me over who the DC is truthfully and I think Flores is probably a one-year guy anyway absolutely he would be yeah. there simply to help build a foundation and then expect yeah. that he'd be gone a year later but I think that could be relatively true across the board regardless of who you hire if yep. you have tremendous success um, they're gonna get poached anyways so yep. if your goal is to have a great defense which not saying you can do that in a year but if you did then you're going to get poached anyways. So um, I think that's just a matter of reality that you need to accept when you're a good team is that your people are going to get poached, period. Yep. Agreed. All righty. Let's, uh, let's talk Vikings offense, guys, all right? Let's do it. We're going to focus uh, today on the Vikings wide receiver room, and we're going to take a look at not just that wide receiver room, but s- some other wide receiver rooms across the NFL, what it takes to have a good room, what the Vikings can do with their room to get it to be an improved um, performing element of the offense to improve the overall offense. That's what we're mm-hmm. going to talk about today. Now, this is something, guys, that I believe we're going to need more than one episode to talk about. I think we'll hit mm-hmm. this again, if, if not next week, um, pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So we, we may cut our conversation off today. There's some variables here that uh, we need we need to know before we can really have hard and fast opinions about who they should draft, who they should trade for, who they should sign. Um, yep. Some of the dom- dominoes have to fall first. They can't all fall at the same time. So let's start mm-hmm. with the Vikings room as it stands right now. Giles, I'll let you take the floor here and walk us through it. Um, yep. I think the folks listening know who's in the room, but... Um, shape this environment the way you want to shape it who's currently in the room and then let's talk about a good wide receiver room in the nfl what's it look like and how did it become good absolutely so to recap the audience with the wide receiver room for the minnesota vikings you have justin jefferson adam thielen kj osborne jalen rieger and then jalen naylor those are your five wide receivers that you have under contract now i think it's important to note except for jalen naylor 
every one of those is uh, up for a contract at the end, uh, in 2024. So this this next season is their last season under contract. And I think everyone uh, agrees that Justin Jefferson's going to get an extension, um, minus something catastrophic. He's going to get extended probably in a big way. Um, so you can make the assumption that he'll probably get extended to 2030 even. But uh, Justin Jefferson currently under contract for 2024. Same for Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, and Jalen Rieger. All of them for 2024. Now, they all have a varying degree of cap hit, um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. I wanted to go over their general performance to understand you know, what worked and what didn't in the 2022 season. Because okay. I think it's important for you to understand that if you want to figure out how do I improve? Because I think the objective of this show, uh, albeit maybe outlandish in some ways, um, not in others, but we're trying to become the number one offense in the NFL. Now, obviously only one team can hold that position. Every team is gunning for it. Some teams are never going to hit it. Some teams are closer than others. I actually think our team is in a in an interesting spot to be able to actually achieve that given the right circumstances. So the objective of today's conversation is if that was our priority as a team, if I was Quezzy and I said, we have to be the number one offense, what would we do? Let's walk through what that would look like. All right. So if we chat through... Um, uh, you know, some of the, the elements of the existing wide receiver room. Let's see what worked and what didn't. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, the first two uh, wide receivers, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, they both played over 700 snaps, uh, 700 plays. Um, Justin Jefferson obviously got the fair majority of those targets. So, for example, when Justin Jefferson was on the field, 23% of the time he was throwing the ball. If he was on the field, essentially one out of every four times the ball was going to Justin Jefferson, which I don't think anyone would be surprised by, nor would you uh, give a different marching order when you know he's on the field. Um, obviously very huge. When you're thinking about Adam Thielen, he also had above 700 snaps. He had about 70 less targets than Justin or than Justin Jefferson uh, and only had 70 receptions. Um, now he about equaled in touchdowns. So if you look at this, um, Adam Thielen was on the field just about as much as, as Justin Jefferson. He got yep. the ball about 14% of the time he was on the field. So, yep. you know, 14, 15%. Um, but he was more often than not leveraged in the red zone. If you want yeah. um, a place to use Adam Thielen, it's red zone, which I don't think is also a surprise to anyone. If you're looking to exploit the strengths of each player, Adam Thielen, especially at his existing age, he's a ring of honor player for the Minnesota Vikings. His focus moving forward should be in red zone. Now we'll get into where that maybe should be, but uh, red zone, I think, is the focus for Adam Thielen. Now, when you're getting down to the, the bottom three, KJ Osborne, I think he's a solid wide receiver three. If you analyze him against the rest of the league, he's a an above average, if not elite, wide receiver three. If you're going to pick someone to be your wide receiver three, KJ Osborne is a phenomenal choice. Yeah, that's um, a good choice. He played almost 700 snaps. He was on the field 635 times. He got 85 targets and then 60 receptions. He was just shy um, of Adam Thielen, and he had about a, a hundred less uh, plays that he played. So he did actually, you know, on a per play basis, he did better than Adam Thielen. He had five touchdowns, and he essentially got the ball 13% of the time when he was on the field. Yep. So now that really leads me into the non. 11 personnel wide receivers. So 11 personnel means you have three wide receivers on the field, which means yep. typically your wide receiver four and five are not going to be on the field. They're going to be in other other plays or they're going to go in as a backup if someone needs a breath. And that's where Jalen Rieger, um, he got 55 snaps the entire season. Obviously we traded for him mid-season. Um, 
uh, if I remember correctly, or maybe that was right before the season. It was, it was right, towards the beginning. Yeah, it was right before. Yep. Right before. Okay. So yep. he did have a full season. He got 55 plays, 13 targets, and eight receptions. Um, did get about 100 yards. He got the ball 23% of the time he was on the field. So when he was brought out, he was targeted just about as much as Justin Jefferson. Um, so wasn't horrible. Um, and then when you look at Jalen Naylor, this is where I think there's a really intriguing element here. Um, he is in the category of under... Uh, 20% of snaps. So if you uh, look at the the vast majority of analysis, they usually talk about players that got at least 20% of snaps, right? Well, if you were to look at that other group of wide receivers, everyone else that didn't play 20% of snaps, there were 83 of them specifically in the NFL. Jalen Naylor was the number one wide receiver in that group. Um, He was the best group in the non-20% category. Um, And he still got um, 31 plays and 179 yards. Um, he got the ball 38% of the time he was on the field and averaged out at a 91.6 grade, which is very good considering, um, you know, it wasn't just two plays he was on there. It wasn't a lot, but it wasn't an, uh, a little, and he did very, very well. Um, his average depth of target was about 12 yards. He actually led the team in average depth of target, um, okay. so he's more of a deep threat. So I think that's something to consider, considering um, how you want the wide receiver room to look like and how you want it to be ordered. Where do you put Jalen Naylor? And I would definitely say he should be above the sixth or the fifth position. Um, even if it's uh, fourth, I think he should be above the fifth wide receiver. Um, and more importantly, he's the only current wide receiver on our team that is under contract beyond next year. He's on our team through 2026. So he has the lowest cap hit currently. Um, he's only 23 years old. Um, I think there's a real interesting element when it comes to Jalen Nager. Um, additionally, when you think about yards per reception, he also leads the league, or uh, leads the team rather. He had 19 yards per reception um, and he had 68 yards after the catch. So he is a phenomenal yards after catch wide receiver when yep. he is on the field. Um, okay. Now that's, am I trying to say that he'll be the best wide receiver or one of the best next year? I'm not saying that, but I'm also not saying that, right? Um, right I think right. there's an upside here that needs to be seen um, if he can actually achieve it. So that's okay. kind of going through the existing personnel that the Minnesota Vikings have under contract. Any thoughts, questions before we move on? I Yeah, interesting look at that, Giles. And the most interesting part of it to me, I think you, you just elevated a little bit of my optimism on Jalen Naylor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think for myself and for maybe a lot of people, he's, a, he's kind of written off, mm-hmm. you know, six round kid, big 10 Michigan state wide receiver. Didn't see mm-hmm. him much this year. You know, you bring 12 receivers to camp every year. You get rid of like four or five of them, you know, aren't, aren't making the team. They're in, they're in mm-hmm. camp for reps. Mm-hmm. And I would have put him like just above that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe O'Connell and, and company and Wes Reynolds and cousins and Jefferson can develop them. We'll see. So I won't write them off. Uh, Rager, I think I kind of is one of those. He's one of those, unless I see something different during the preseason or early next year, like I I'm kind of like, if he's like, if you're trying to make him a component of this thing that matters, I think you've not done a good job of upgrading the position. And I get it. He he returns kicks and you traded for him. So you don't just want to cast him aside. I think he's got some raw ability. That's, that's decent. Mm -hmm. But if someone can't, can't come over the top on him and beat him out for a job, I think that's disappointing effort in bringing talent in. So 
you know, uh, and maybe that's Naylor who gets over Rager. I, I don't know. Yep. We'll see. Yep. Um, but I really think this is surprisingly for an offense that's that's scored the way it's scored and mm-hmm. has the reputation it has. Surprisingly, it's not a wide receiver room with great depth. Not necessarily. I don't feel good about it. You know, I I agree with what you said about Osborne, but I think where we're at with Thielen sort of counters how good we feel about Osborne. So um, I think this is a room that needs to be upgraded. I I think if you stand pat here or just do a little bit, I think that you will see a stark regression in performance. And if this part of the team regresses, the entire team stands almost no chance of maintaining its performance from this past season. So this is an area of focus for the Vikings. They got to get better here. They got to go on the offensive when it comes to building up their wide receiver room. If they stand pat, teams are onto the trick, man. I mean, you can't stop Jefferson. You can only hope to contain him, but he's been contained a little bit um, in some of these games later in the season. So Mm -hmm. how do we improve it? Why don't we take a look? Is the next step here to take a look at some other rooms across the league that we like, or do you have something yes. to do before we do that? Okay. Uh, no, that that's perfect because I think yeah, yeah, that that trends exactly where I'm looking to go. Okay. Because at the end of the day, if you're trying to become the number one offense, you also need to know who else is running against me, right? Now, yeah. it's not necessarily meant to say I need to be better than the Eagles in this regard, but you need to be able to be better than the other people's defense, right? That's yep. the priority of being the number one offense. It's not yep. just ego; it's performance against the defense. Yep. Um, so I think it's analyzing who had the best rooms now obviously there's a whole slew of statistics that you can look at when you think about the top uh offense or the top wide receiver room um if we look at simply touchdowns the vikings were actually uh fifth in uh touchdowns this year when passing like if you think about passing touchdowns we were fifth um which i think is really interesting Uh, i don't think anyone really realizes that i think people think of us more as a, a fringe top 10 team when it came to touchdowns or scoring more specifically but when it came to passing touchdowns we did fairly well um we we ultimately scored 30 touchdowns the best team was the kansas city chiefs and they scored 41 so they were Jeez. hands and feet above that now this is an interesting element that i want to discuss here because when i was analyzing these rooms um the chiefs are actually an anomaly here when you think about how rooms are constructed uh when you think about the chiefs they have essentially their top four or five guys all getting similar level snaps and playing time. Now, obviously yeah. their top two are getting more than the other ones, but there is a much bigger drop off after one and two on most teams. This team, it's more of a gradual slope. One and two get some, and then three, four, five also get a lot when it comes to actual targets, snaps, um, but more importantly, uh, receptions and touchdowns, right? So I think there's an interesting element there where they spread the ball around a lot. And okay. if you're factoring that into ourselves, is that something that we should try to strive for? Or is that unrealistic? For I, us? I don't think we should. And, okay. and yep. you can come at me if you disagree. Giles and Chase, I made a list of the rooms that I like the most in the mm-hmm. NFL. And, and, and the prism through which I looked at it and, and wrote these down was simply the wide receiver talent, not okay. the offense, not not an overall look at the offense and the scoring, just the receivers in the room and Mm -hmm. which rooms do I like? Mm -hmm. And the chiefs, I I did nine. If I had to do 10, I'd put the chiefs there, but the chiefs were not in it. They weren't in my top nine. And that is not me with a shot across the bow of the Kansas city chiefs, the team that's in the super bowl representing the AFC. That's really actually a compliment to Andy Reid, Eric Mm -hmm. B enemy and Patrick Mahomes is the fact that to me, they don't have a top nine 
talent level in the wide receiver room, yet they scored the most touchdowns at that position. Agreed. I, I, think, I, think, that's a, I think that's a quarterback and a system thing. And we're going to get to that here in a little bit because I have factors that need to be there to have a good wide receiver room. I've got yep. three of them. Okay. Um, so the Chiefs are not on my list of teams I really, really love at wide receiver. Yet okay. you're telling me that they were one of the top performing rooms. So I, I just think that's interesting. Well, and that's specifically into to touchdown. So obviously yes, there's different right. ways to, to factor yep, that in because yep. there's, there's uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of different facets and nuance that go into touchdowns. That's not the end all be all. Obviously you need to score as many points as the other one, but there's different elements where you might've been really great process wise, but then the one weakness you had on your team was your ability to score in the red zone uh, yeah. or you were a big rushing touchdown guy like that yeah. obviously can skew your performance and they don't lean on their rushing game. So when you think about points, although the Kansas City Chiefs are big in points, um, that's not always just the necessary recipe. But I'd love yeah. to hear your three if you want to go through them. Uh, like, let's talk through them. OK, yeah, let's hear. Them. So the way I looked at or look at it with the wide receiver room is, you know, and I've had very interesting discussions about the wide receiver position in general okay. with coaches throughout the years. And, and one of them was a, a former Vikings wide receiver coach named George Stewart, who was here okay. with Brad Childress through Leslie Frazier. And I believe he was here with Zim for a little bit. I have to go back and look at that, but great guy, mm -hmm. office door, always open and mm -hmm. always willing to share his knowledge has been in the league for a long time has coached special teams, offensive line and wide receivers. And with the Vikings, he was coaching wide receivers. And he, the way he explained it to me was because wide receivers oftentimes have this prima donna reputation mm -hmm. that sometimes is true, sometimes is not, but mm -hmm. perception is reality. And the perception is they're prima donnas and they are asking for attention and they're flashy and flamboyant. And part of that George hypothesized was, Perhaps more than any other position in the sport, they are reliant on others to have success. They are mm -hmm. reliant on the coach and the play caller yep. to call their number. They are reliant yep. on the quarterback to throw it to them. And they are reliant on the score of the game to dictate passing. They are reliant on the offensive line to protect the quarterback. They are reliant on so many things before they even get a chance. Yep. And so they are asking for attention a lot because of that. And when they do succeed, they want affirmation on that because yes. it's not. So anyway, so, like I just, <laughs> yep. so I just think that's a very interesting look at this position in general. So the factors yeah. that I think need to be there um, to have a good wide receiver room, I think you don't need all three, but I think you need multiple of these. Okay. You have to draft well. So you, you just mm -hmm. have talented guys there mm -hmm. where it's like, even if it was, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle coaching them, like they, you'd see that they're good playmakers. Yep. The other two then are, you have to have a good quarterback mm -hmm. and an established <laughs> system, like an offensive system that has rules and roles and definition and structure, and you fit the right players into that system. So if you draft yep. well, if you have a good quarterback and if you have a system, if you got two of those three, I think you can have a good wide receiver room. I really like that. I think um, uh, one, I, I agree with each one of those points. I think they're incredibly important. And honestly, uh, going back to the first thing you mentioned with the wide receiver group, although they are called prima donnas, I can also just uh, view that from the lens that they are just very passionate about the game. They're 
one of the ultimate competitors. Um, yeah. So sometimes that can get mistranslated in terms of like, oh, you're just being high maintenance to like, I care about winning, I want to win. Um, yeah. You know, and that, that emotion can be mistranslated. Um, yeah. But I think uh, then translating into your systems conversation, um, one, I want to go over my next uh, team that I think is kind of an interesting um, yeah. element to try to mimic. Um, but two, I think our team is now in an even better position to try to take a step forward from a wide receiver room standpoint because we'll be in the second year of our system. I do yeah. trust Kevin O'Connell. I think he's a, a great coach and I think he brings great philosophy into the room. But with that being said, it is a relatively complex system that can be difficult to learn. So yeah. I expect everyone to be that much better at their at their game this year because if you analyze some of the biggest, we'll call it failed plays of this last season, failed and biggest meaning uh, it's like a fourth down and needed, um, not the last play of the game, although that could be one of them. There were plenty of fourth down or third down plays where we needed to have it. And one wide receiver ran the wrong route where they'd run it together or there, there was a snafu in some way, shape or form where there could have been success, but we caused our own failure, not sure. because we weren't performing, but because we didn't know the right play. And yeah. I think once you get that system down better, I think those problems now go away for this next coming off season. Sure. But taking that philosophy, Tell me if you would disagree, but one of the best wide receiver rooms I think that we can try to model after is the Cincinnati Bengals. Now yep. they're not in the wide or the, the Super Bowl this year, but they were dang close, yep. and they've drafted very well, um, which I think we'll get into here in a second. But you have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, all of which did very very well. All of them had above <laughs> sixty receptions. They all got above a seventy PFF grade. Jamar Chase is obviously a phenomenal yeah. player by himself, but when you pair him with those other two, they have a phenomenal wide receiver room. Yep. So they're, they're number one on my list. Yeah. The Bengals yeah. are number one. Uh, they're my favorite room. There's a close second and a close third. They are number one. And I think that the highest probability of success for the Vikings, given their current room, is to mm -hmm. follow the Cincinnati model. Mm -hmm. I don't think they can follow the Kansas City model. That I think they are disqualified from that because of mm -hmm. Justin Jefferson. Yeah. And what I mean by that is they have an elite, no doubt about it, number one guy that they drafted. Yeah. The Chiefs don't have that. No. I mean, the like Tyrese Hill is gone. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they, they've got Smith Schuster and they've got Kadarius Tony and they've got Valdez Scantling and they've got these guys that they that that are mercenaries they got from other places, you know. Mm -hmm. So okay. So I I love the Cincy room. If you have more yeah. to say on those guys, please do so. Otherwise, um, we can talk about some other rooms that you like, but I, I love the Cincy room. Yeah, no, tell me your other uh, other teams. I'd be excited to hear them because I, I think we probably have the same list, but I'd love to hear your order. Uh, okay, so I have Cincy one, Miami two, and San okay. Francisco yep. three. Same, so okay. yep. the Miami one guys is interesting because that is, is complete opposite of Cincy. Well, not complete mm -hmm. opposite, but is different than Cincy. Just like Kansas City is different than Cincy. But the Vikings cannot replicate the Kansas City model, but they can replicate the Miami model mm -hmm. because Miami drafted Waddle and mm -hmm. a guy I really like is Sherfield. Yep. And then they traded for Tyreek Hill. Okay, so this yep. is not all organic. The The Dolphins went, um, went to the market to get a guy and Tyreek Hill is really the key piece. And I know, Giles, that you have an idea for the Vikings in, in similar regard here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, honestly, I think this is the perfect transition because if you go back to our original objective and the idea that we're trying to be the number one 
offense in the league, how yep. do you go make that happen? And if, you know, you go back to what we were talking about with the deficiencies of our team, Adam Thielen being wide receiver two is unfortunately becoming a deficiency. I love Adam Thielen. He's an awesome guy, does a lot for our community and is definitely a ring of honor player. But I think uh, you f- need to find a way to transition him out of the wide receiver two position. That yes. could happen via trade, via cut, or moving him down the depth chart, um, having had him uh, essentially uh, take a pay cut. Um, yep. Which I don't even like the term pay cut because I think if you were to go to him and say we're gonna we're gonna cut you, um, and he were to go hit the free agency market, he's gonna make less probably in that scenario than he would make with us if he took exactly. a pay cut here or restructured. So exactly. really, yep. it's it's not a pay cut. It's more like we want to make sure you make the most money, and we'd love to keep you if you're willing to take less money. Yep. Um, and that's where I think. Um, A couple things can happen. Um, One, I would try to get Adam Thielen to restructure because you're going to have a dead cap hit um, of 13 million if you don't, if you uh, cut him pre June one. It's going to be six million if you cut him post June one, but then the rest of the money just goes into next year. But you're having to field 13 million of dead cap if you get rid of Adam Thielen. So the best case scenario for us would be if he can take a a major pay cut and then just keep him on the the roster just at wide receiver three or four where we're going to bring you on on red zone targets you're still a great a great presence there you have great hands but when it comes to speed in our 11 personnel format you are not necessarily in the equation anymore so that'd be step number one taking adam thielen and moving him down the depth chart so then really you either have a vacancy at number two or you move kj osborne to number two from number three okay and for the second, I'm going to keep him at number three, KJ Osborne, yep. uh, and we're going to leave it vacant. And that's where yep. let's explore the free agency market uh, and yep. explore the league for that matter. Who are the wide receivers that are available that could fill the number wide or number two wide receiver spot and have us improve our performance? And that's where there are probably three, well, I would say uh, two major free agency targets that I would look at and one target that I'm really intrigued by that would be acquired via trade. And that would be... Mr. T. Higgins himself from the Ooh, Cincinnati boy. Bengals. Okay. Now that's a big conversation to have because obviously he's still Ooh. under contract for the Bengals. But mm. if you've been watching the news recently, he is apparently up for trade because he apparently wants to get paid and probably justifiably so. He's proven that he can be a, a wide receiver one in some contexts when Jamar Chase was out. But he's currently 23 years old. He had 500 snaps uh, this offseason. So he had about 200 snaps less than Thielen. Okay. Adam Thielen had about uh, 720 and T Higgins had 560. All right. So substantially less than Adam Thielen, still a lot, but substantially less and had the same number of targets. He was targeted the same amount, but played 200 snaps less. And he had more receptions than Adam Thielen and played 200 snaps less. He had a hundred, 104 targets and 74 receptions. He had more yards than Thielen. He had about 300 more yards to be exact. Um, So when you're thinking about that, um, T. Higgins had 13.9 yards per reception um, and was targeted essentially 18% of the time. Now, if you think about that, if you view them as a similar player and similar usage, um, well, uh, similar usage as in targets, not in snaps, but in targets, you target them the same amount of times, T. Higgins got 300 yards more in the same context. If you were to plug that into the Vikings in 2022, I think we go significantly further, especially in the games where teams sold out to take away Justin Jefferson. We didn't always have answers beyond that. If you bring in T. Higgins, there's no way they can sell out to go stop Justin Jefferson. And if they do, they would be crushed by T. Higgins. I think this instantly puts you in the conversation to be the number one wide receiver or number one offense in the league. If you have two elite levels, I think you are the best wide receiver in the room 
by a big margin, considering how great Justin Jefferson is and considering how great T. Higgins is. T. Higgins ended the year as the 22nd best wide receiver out of all qualified wide receivers, 103 of them. He was the 22nd best. Absolutely phenomenal. What are your thoughts initially? Okay. So I think T. Higgins is good enough to be a a wide receiver one in the NFL. I am not opposed to having two WR1s on my team if I'm the Vikings, because I believe the Vikings have the quarterback, the system, and the head coach to manage two number one wide receivers and get them target share and get Mm -hmm. them production. No concerns with that. I can also stomach the trade capital, draft cap, sorry, the draft capital that will be required to acquire acquire T. Higgins. Mm -hmm. What I am uncertain about in this scenario is the salary cap hits and managing the cap with Cousins, eventual Jefferson contract, eventual Higgins contract. How, how I don't know how that would work, if it could yeah, work. That is uh, a big say. conversation, definitely. And I think uh, there's a number of conversations that also need to be had at the same time to decide if you're able to do that, how you'd be able to do that. Some of them are on the defensive side of the ball, what you do with Daniil Hunter, because although his is a manageable cap hit this year, around $13 million, if I believe, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, but if you were to say, you know what, we're going to continue on with our existing system on defense. And in that system, we don't require specifically Daniel Hunter because he doesn't fit what we want to do. Phenomenal player, but doesn't fit into us. You could potentially try to do a player swap plus a pick where Daniel Hunter, you're going to the, the Cincinnati Bengals and we'll take T Higgins back. Now, personally, I think you could ask for maybe one pick back in exchange, considering what the upside of Daniel Hunter is and the, the average contract value of a, an elite defensive end versus a yeah. a above average wide receiver. Cause I don't think T Higgins is elite. He's not Justin Jefferson, but he's still great. Like yes. he's, he is, I mean, in the top 25 in the league, but he's not number one. I think I, in the right context, Daniel Hunter could be a top five defensive end when used correctly, okay. if, if not top 10. I'll so that's my that. logic behind that of, of swapping players. Um, if you weren't to swap players and I'll get you to respond here in a second, then I reached out to a uh, data scientist to get his thoughts on what would be required in order uh, for us to, to get T. Higgins by himself and no, no player exchanges. And he said it would take this year's first, this year's fourth, and next year's fourth. Now, I'd love for us to be able to kind of negotiate that and maybe do next year's first versus this year's fourth, because, or first rather, because I think there's some needs that we need to fill in the first round this year. Um, so that would be my preference. But with that, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Okay, so if I were the Bengals and I was like, we got to trade T. Higgins, which I don't think they will trade him, Mm -hmm. but let's say that they were like, we got to trade him, we can't afford him. Mm -hmm. And and you said to me, we'll give you a first, but it's got to be next year. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like that. And I'd probably field other calls or go to the other offers. However, if what if I said to you, what if I was the Bengals, Giles, and I said to you, oh, really, next year's first? Okay, well, then we'll, we'll do that. But instead of a first and two fourths, it's a second this year and next year's first. No force involved, but we need a second this year then. Would you do it? We'd have to move a few things around because we don't currently have a second. It'd have to be our, right? We only have a third this year, correctly, uh, yeah. or is it the other so, way around? We have, uh, we don't have a second. We only have a third round pick this year. So, so we have so a first, then, a third, a fourth, a fifth, and a fifth. So then so either have, it's a draft day trade where you move back from the first round into the second and give that up. Mm-hmm. for Higgins or you say we can't do a second but we'll give you a third this year mm-hmm. and then a one and a four next year would you do that for T Higgins 
I think I would as long as you can make the cap work. That is, okay. I mean, putting so, yourself in a unique position, but he is that great of a player, and I think that would do so much for our offense. I think it would too. So now to make the cap work, what I think the idea I would have if I was in the room is I would say Kirk Cousins is not a spring chicken. His cap hits are huge, but he will not be here for as long as T. Higgins will be here. So let's mm -hmm. backload Higgins' money to later in the life of the contract, absorb yeah. those hits then, because at that point, our goal should be to have moved on from Cousins for either performance or age reasons or whatever, mm -hmm. and we have a, a quarterback on a rookie contract, and so we're, we're, we're more cap flexible because mm -hmm. we have a quarterback on a rookie contract, and we've got Higgins and Jefferson and Hawkinson for our young quarterback on his rookie contract. I think that is the exact formula. I mean, assuming you can hit on your quarterback, which is a big well, if, yeah. but I mean, teams have done it and it's definitely a, a gamble worth taking in the right context. Doesn't mean that you should just gamble your future, but I think eventually we'll have to pull that trigger. Now, something that'll have to be sooner rather than later. And I think in this context, you'd have to pull that trigger sooner. But I think if you're trying to go to pursue a Super Bowl and pursue a consistently great offense and team, I think this is giving you those bones to make that happen. And I think the 49ers are an interesting example to look at because um, although they're different players, they are stacked at a lot of places on offense where they made a rookie quarterback, one that was taken in the very last position of the draft, look phenomenal. Now, do I think Brock Purdy's good? Yes, I do think he's good. But they have amazing infrastructure. They have a great O-line. They have great weapons at every position. Like they're giving him every tool to be successful, including an amazing head coach. I think if you're ever going to bring in a rookie quarterback and try to have them succeed, this would be the way to do it. Load him up everywhere else where, I mean, unless he's a bust, he can at least be average, uh, even if he's bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if he's, if he's the guy, you have now built yourself an amazing tool to go win multiple Super Bowls. Yep. So if we do this, the, in this scenario where the Vikings give up next year's one, mm -hmm and four and a three this year the vikings would maintain their first round pick this year i would say let's probably you probably want to move back to accumulate some extra picks right and then with that you address your offensive line don't you i think if you can trade back in the first round cross your fingers and still get john michael schmitz if you're able to draft him i think that allows you to be a lot more effective on the interior. I think Ezra Cleveland was already great. He was the 10th overall left guard, or actually guard in general. He was the 10th best guard in the league uh, at the, the left side. Obviously, Ed Ingram had some rookie mistakes. That's maybe something you need to address in camp in terms of either eliminating those mistakes or, or adjusting that position. But if you bring a, an amazing center in, that instantly makes your center, your, your guards that more effective because your tackles are already set. You already have two top 10 tackles, arguably the best tackle room in the league. So yep. if you get the one of the best centers in the league, similar to what the Chiefs did a couple of years ago with Creed Humphrey, year one, he was literally the best center in the league instantly. Like he was phenomenal. Um, that shores up in the other two positions, in my opinion, where I think then you can be a top 10 unit at minimum. And then you can get a second round pick out of it if you were to trade back. Now, I, there's a lot of ifs in there. I don't want to be a complete homer, but I think John Michael Schmitz is that great of a player where I do project him to be a phenomenal center in the NFL. I do too. I think others do as well. And I think if you got to take him in the first, I would think about doing it. You mm -hmm. know, maybe not He's at available, 20. do it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe not at 23, but.
if if you grade him to be a Garrett Bradbury type player when Bradbury was coming out, obviously, you know, I think Bradbury is solid or fine, but I don't think he reached the projection many had for him. No. <clears throat> but I think if you think John Michael Schmitz does in the scenario we're talking about right here, where you've traded next year's first and a third this year, I think you got to, I, I would, I would take the number one center in the draft or your favorite center at 25 or eight or 29 or 32 or wherever you end up trading back to. Yep. And then additionally, um, let's say that you maintain the, the, the stars on defense this year, you find a way to make it work cap wise. You keep Daniel Hunter. Okay. Yep. Um, I think you make a run this year because this is um, kind of one of those linchpin points where next year people are going to start getting paid, where you getting a little bit more restricted cap wise. I think next year is when you try to trade Daniel Hunter. And then maybe you could get another first after that. Maybe, maybe that's getting too much when he's at that age, but let's just get a little bit wild here and say that you do. That's where I think you could try to trade a few different pieces that are starting to age out and then maybe trade back into the first to get a quarterback next year um, or or the year after, you know, depending on how it yeah. works. But use some of your existing pieces next offseason, trade them off and package that up to try to go grab a quarterback. Yep. Interesting. I love this approach. Um, <clears throat> I think there are others to detail and to mm -hmm. talk about. <clears throat> this approach is very interesting to me. I'm <clears throat> the concerns would be you're neglecting your defense a little bit. Yep. Uh, absolutely. And I don't know where you get the, part of the plan is quarterback and a rookie deal. Who's playing yep. for you. Yep. And I don't, I don't know where to get that here unless you take one in the third round or second round next year. I completely agree. Unless you, you take other, other assets like I talked about before this year and use that to trade up again in the first this year. I know, but I don't know. I know you mentioned that with Daniil and maybe getting a first for him. I mean, technically Zadarius Smith is also under contract. Now I'm not necessarily the opinion that you should just go blow up your, your defensive end room, but it really depends on what you do with defensive coordinator and what you do with the scheme. If you keep yeah. the scheme the same, I know I've said it before, I'll say it again. You either need to have Daniil Hunter bulk up and play interior or trade him because he's not necessarily the best fit for someone backing off into coverage. He's yeah. an elite player, and I think he's maybe more valuable for you in trade capital, if leveraged correctly. I want to put a big asterisk to that. You could easily fumble these picks, and then it would all wash away. But if yeah. you can nail those picks, then it would be worth it more in that scenario if you can yeah. get a high round, a uh, couple of picks out of it. All right. So we have we have more to talk about here with the Vikings wide receiver room uh, that we're not going to get to today because we're, we're running out of time. So let's table it because we still have some other free agents or we have free agents who we like. We have yep. a list. We have their estimated compensation. We have stats on them um, mm -hmm. as alternative ways the Vikings could put together their their room. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't have time to talk about it right now. So let's table that for next week. There are two more things I want to get to before we say goodbye. Um, okay. And that is to finish the conversation about Adam Thielen yep. and then to talk about the Super Bowl. So other than those two things, do you guys have anything you want to get to before we get out of here? No, that works. Okay. With Thielen, I'm interested in keeping him though, not at wide receiver two. Yep. And I, we've got Osborne at wide receiver three, <clears throat> but I'm interested in keeping him as a specialized option, primarily red zone, third down. Mm -hmm. also for depth where if you need a guy for three or four games, I think Adam can do it. 
I think he's got great locker room value. I still think he's got enough ability to contribute. Mm-hmm. And I think that he values being here. Okay. So to make room for him on the roster from a numbers standpoint, I think you yep. can shave off a fullback or a tight end um, and to do this. You're not a run heavy group anyway. You rarely ever are in 13 personnel, you know, where it's, where it's three tight ends and yep. you don't have a fullback on the field very much. And I love CJ ham, but I think you can compensate for his absence on special teams and mm-hmm. capitalize on Adam's presence with the offense. So Agreed. What do you think he'd take a one year, $10 million fully guaranteed offer to stay here? I do think he would take that because I think you could potentially ask him to take less considering what he might make out in the open market, considering his decline. Now, maybe yeah. I'm totally off. I'm, I'm not necessarily a free market expert. So uh, in the comments, please tell me if I'm way off base, but I think you could potentially get it down to like seven. Okay. Considering, you know, uh, but- we want to keep you here. We all want to be here. You and us. Yep. Um, would you take seven, seven and a half, and then essentially cut your pay in half, but still make more than maybe you would make on free agency? Okay. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm off. I don't know what his projected value would be on the market, but if I'm his agent, I'm sitting here going, we're not taking that. You're going to have to keep them or cut them. And if you cut them, you're taking a 13 and a half million dollar dead cap hit. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the leverage point. Now. Yeah, we can, we can designate this a post June one. Uh, but you're just pushing that into another year then. Right. So doesn't necessarily change what he's making like income wise in a given year. It's more just how cap gets manipulated to and fro uh, between years Um, where, I mean, it all depends on what he thinks he can make in free agency. If we were to cut him, you know what I mean? Because there's ego involved of how much am I worth per year cap hit wise, like percentage of cap people bang their chest against it. Uh, And then what am I actually going to make income wise now? This is pure speculation. You might be able to correct me, but Adam Thielen feels more like a um, a dollar amount guy versus a percentage of cap guy. Like yeah. I care far more about the money I'm going to make. So if yeah. you can build a scenario where you're going to make more money this year if you stay with us than if we cut you and you go elsewhere. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Yep. The cap hits aside, income into your bank account this year. Let's build a scenario for that to happen. Yep. Interesting. I'd love to hear what the phone conversations are like between Thielen's representation and the Vikings on how this will play out. Mm-hmm. I think both sides have leverage. So I think it's a very mm-hmm. interesting negotiation. Um, yeah. I, I just think there's value there to keeping Thielen in Minnesota yeah. yep. beyond the sentimental. He's one of us guys. Yep. Even if he's wide receiver six, there's still a place for him. I mean, even yep. Jalen Naylor, who is number uh, or number five, rather, he still scored one touchdown. He got nine receptions, almost 200 yards. I mean, he was he was a facet of our offense, not a big one, but yeah. like if you build specific usages for him, I think there's a, a route to maximizing the upside sure. of what he is at this age. Yep. All right. All right. Let's uh, table the wide receiver discussion for maybe next week. We'll talk about. Hopefully, they'll have a defensive coordinator hired by this time next week, and uh, and we can finish talking about this wide receiver room because it's a key component to what we think the Vikings should do, which is take something that's good and keep making it better, which is your offense. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk more wide receiver next week on episode four of the Wobcast 2.0. Very quickly before we go, uh, the Super Bowl is coming up, by the way. Uh, so who do you like to win the game? Who like who do you think will win the game and why? And then if you could choose the winner, who would you choose? Who are you rooting for? I want to hear this from you guys. I'll start. Um, 
I think the Eagles will win the game. And I think they're going to win because their offensive line and defensive line will dominate just as they did in the NFC Championship game. So I think they're going to hold the Chiefs to below their scoring average. And I think they're going to be able to move the ball down the field effectively. So I, I think the Eagles will win in uh, like a traditionally close scoring normal game, 27 to 20 or 24 yeah. to 20, 31 to 28, something like that. Like, I think they're yeah. going to win the game, but I'm rooting like hell for the Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> I love Andy yeah. Reid. I don't love Philadelphia. And, you know, I, like I'm, I, I think Mahomes is fun to watch and cool. I really like Andy Reid and I love that story. And I think him beating the Eagles in the Super Bowl is is very cool. So I'm rooting for the Chiefs. Honestly, I have a very similar opinion. Um, I believe that the Eagles have the better roster when you're exploring yeah. all facets of uh, position groups. Eagles have a better roster, period. Uh, and they don't have a train wreck at quarterback either. So it's not like, oh, you have a great team, but yeah. eh, quarterback, like he's, he's a good quarterback. I think he's proven yep. himself this year. Um, but... I think Mahomes is that much better. That's not a, a slight to Hurts. I think Mahomes is that much better. And I believe Andy Reid, aside from maybe Kyle Shanahan, is the best coach in the league. So that's where I do give a slight advantage to the Chiefs. Because um, I think if they have the ability to win the game, it'll be because of their creativity. And I yeah. think they've proven time in and time out this year that they can be creative. I mean, yeah. even that... That one play where they were doing the carousel and all of a yeah, sudden yeah. their information, cool. they were gone. Yeah. Um, it obviously didn't work the way they wanted to because of a penalty, but make the penalty go away, it worked. Like, yeah. you know, there was there were some elements there, and I think they will throw some interesting threads into this now that Mahomes is maybe a little bit healthier than he was last time in the, in the Super Bowl. So yep. um, I'm also rooting for the Chiefs, uh, so maybe okay. my homer nature is coming out. Um, I I'm rooting more against the Eagles than I am yeah, for the Chiefs, if it. we're being completely honest, but I get uh, that's where I'm at. How about you, Chase? Yeah, I'll never be able to root for the uh, the city of Philadelphia on anything. But right. um, the thing about it, I, I feel like they do have the better team, but their inability to get their stars involved is kind of worrying me. Because, um, like, because like we said, they had a pretty easy path, and like AJ yeah. Brown, mm-hmm. AJ Brown hasn't done much in the playoffs. Devontae Smith hasn't done much in the playoffs. They've been going to guys like like uh, uh, Gainwell and and mm-hmm. uh, some other other guys. That's like maybe that can carry them through. But I just they're not getting their guys involved and that kind of worries me. But then also the, uh, the chiefs, I just got a side of experience here. Um, I don't want to bet against Patrick Mahomes. You guys know how highly I think of the Cincinnati Bengals and the, yeah. uh, the chiefs just took them down. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with the chiefs in a close one. I'm going to go 33, 27. Um, and I'm also rooting for the chiefs. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. go red. All righty. That's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast. We thank you all for listening. We encourage you to continue listening. Find the Wobcast wherever you find all of your other favorite podcasts. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're also on YouTube. If you haven't seen us there, check us out on YouTube. Come find me on Twitter. Let us know what we said that was wrong. Let us know what we said that you agree with. Give us ideas for future show topics at Wobby on Twitter. For Giles and Chase, this is Wabi signing off for now. Back next week, though, to talk more Vikings offense and wide receivers. Skull Vikings.